we are living in someone's false ARG. This is what the Great Reset is. They're just creating what they want the next story to be. And we also seem to revealing right now to understand how this 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 realm works so that we can walk through it with with greater awareness and consciousness. So then going back to the whole thing of like, you know, why does mysticism work? Why does why is synchronicity important? Why is looking at rivers, looking at where you are important? Because that is a baseline reality which is deeper than the ARG. You are going to connect to something. That is the human experience. Because we, we can't really we can't really go back in and pretend like we just said hello. It's, I assumed we were recording. <laughs> well, that is my fault. I apologize to the listeners, but now we are recording. But now we are recording. Indeed. We talked on this call, and so my question to you was, what's going on? It's been about a week since we spoke. Yeah. Well, not much has gone on this week in comparison to. Uh, the week before, but I have uh, continued the sort of um, book magnetic, I don't know what to call it, maybe you have a better word for it, but it seems like there's this magnetism where once we get one book, and it only happens with Tara, like I, I, my whole life I've been buying books and this hasn't started until until I met Tara and what I'm talking about is this connection this link that's being formed between books the first book that I can maybe say is a part of this is dancing the wheel working with the medicine wheel and in that book they describe a practice of creating a circle cross with two lines out of stones and you use 36 stones and each stone represents uh, has a different characteristic that it adds to the wheel and that wheel that you build in your backyard or your uh, you know on an altar or wherever it may be uh, is sort of like your representation of the world right let, so, let me ask you a question real quick so the each stone has a different quality right correct Right. How are those? Uh, do you define those qualities? Is there a set list of qualities? Where does that come from? And how do the stones get linked to those qualities? Yeah, great question. So there are, there is a a uh, rubric, so to speak, and the way it works is, <clears throat> you start with the creator stone in the middle, and then you place the Earth Mother, Father, Son, Grandmother, Moon. Those would be the first four stones, creator, earth, sun, moon. And then it goes into uh, turtle, frog, thunderbird, butterfly, waboose, waboon, Sean All right, well, hold on. Let me, let, me, <laughs> let me stop you before we go into the third layer. So um, between layers one and two, are there five stones or four stones? Well, 
for the visual side of it, imagine one stone in the center of a, a circle, and then and that should be the God stone, the Creator stone, correct? Right. And the and, and then you should have the four directions, right? And so there should be four stones. So the picture shows, yeah, the, the the first five stones are kind of circling around the the first stone you place, and then from there you so kind of build out. Stones, so five stones go around the circle, the center circle stone, or is the fifth stone including mm. the eight? Because I, I and and I don't and this is my thought with this line of questioning. I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think there's a knowing what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, and well, so like, so I don't think like this is the right way or that is the right way. I think that what is the right way is that you understand what it is that you are doing. You being like you know me, you or like mm-hmm. anyone who's listening. Like right. this is how you create like actual your actual ceremonies. How you're not like doing dogma, replicating something, but you're inspired. And then you understand, like, you have a logic system in terms of what what you're working with, what energies you're working with. This is this is a great model. This is a great model. So right. and you, four you, or five around. Well, you make a good point, though. It's like this is not supposed to be, yeah, a new dogma. This is like you practice cr- completing their version of the medicine wheel, and then as you integrate this practice into your life, you know, maybe you swap out the turtle stone for, a, you know, your own pet dog or, you know, uh, instead of the wisdom stone, you might, you know, have more focus on love, you know? So, so there, I, like, I, I agree with that. I, I would, I would even go like, I'm looking at it kind of like the, the wheel itself, mm. like, which is, um, a purposeful, a purposeful circle placed of stone on the earth. Um, with, uh, there are two, two lines going from uh, through the center, which are and perpendicular with one another. So, you know, four line segments off the center or two lines, whatever you want, however you want to think it. Um, but that is kind of like a, an infrastructure in terms of, of connecting to, to the natural world. And no matter what you do with that, like it's, it's an infrastructure. So there's first that level of understanding. This isn't the only infrastructure, but it's like, you know, it's a, uh, 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 probably a universal tested and tried sort of thing, which humanity has done in the past. And then the next level is then, you know, if we look at that as the first, the first layer, and then the second layer is then they have the meaning, like, you know, why you're doing it. And that could still be infrastructure, like lining up the lines in the four directions, or maybe you're lining it up to something geographical that or, or geological in your area that is visual. Like, I mean, there's no right or wrong, just knowing what you're doing and why you're doing and what, you know, the four directions may mean to you and so forth. Mm. And then comes the meaning of like, okay, the center stone is creator stone. Like that makes the most amount of sense to me. Like, you know, that, where does it all begin? Right. You know, that's what this, that's what this represents. This represents where it all begins. And then you go like, okay, what are then my next layers? You know, what's most, what speaks to me? And so what I really liked what you were describing was this kind of like what I pictured, uh, ancestral tie, you know, mother, mother, father, um, um, when you talk about the moon and I forget the other ones, but, but you're beginning to like, that's what you're linking your, your, your connective vehicle to, but it doesn't have to be that. But, but that is like, you know, it makes a lot of sense why that would be. 
But so, okay, so so go on. So you were saying like um, the layer after that is where it starts to get even more more specific right? in terms of qualities. Right. The diagram they have laid out, you would be you would be facing the north when you do this and you would place the creator stone and then in a tight circle immediately around that creator stone you would place the next eight or i'm sorry the next seven stones so you end up with one circle in the middle of a small circle of seven other stones and then from the four directions you would place three stones in each direction north south east west or you know you know front back left right and then around those four points or four lines that you just you know plotted with the three stones moving away from the center you would connect all four of those lines around with 16 stones the same size as the creator stone in the middle so the ones that are kind of like connecting uh, the middle part portions of the circle are fairly smaller the way this diagram has it. And, you know, the intention is to use minerals or whatever stones are in your yard and, and to create a sort of visual meditation uh, through which you can facilitate a connection between the earth and the sky and, and you in the middle. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, this book is really fascinating. That's like only one dimension to this book. Uh, it's really kind of like a complete medicine wheel workbook from, uh, Sun Bear, who's a pretty well-known Native American author. And, you know, my point bringing this up was to show how it seems like these books this one in particular, but specifically the books that Tara and I have found together are really leading us down a certain like path. Like you can see a clear connection between, you know, one book and the other and, and a sort of uh, narrative is forming. Hmm. So, um, uh, I, <laughs> I'm so inspired by this idea. I love, I, I, I love hearing this. So, um, can we talk a little bit more so about like the actual practice? Yeah. When, when you say actual practice, do you mean in the dancing with the wheel book or do you mean just like the overall doing it? Doing it. So like whether it's done dancing, um, you know, following, uh, following a recipe mm. or, or improvising or improvising your own. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, uh, what's also, what would also be really cool. And maybe this is covered in the book as well is, um, you know, scale is interesting. So that's, you know, you're working with a pretty big, how, how big would you say, um, the diameter of this, of the, the circle would be like from end to end from opposite point to opposite point, 20 feet. No, I would say it's it's all dependent on on you the creator so if you wanted to make a big one like that 20 feet for sure uh the one that tara and i made at our old place was um was very small but it was made with you know hand size minerals very small i like the size of uh uh maybe a foot by a foot on a table you know like on a kitchen table so you're talking about maybe like stones and minerals that are maybe the size of a digit of your finger? Yeah, yeah. With we we created one with sort of like handheld crystals that you would get at this mm. you know, mineral shops and whatnot. Mm. 
Mm. Nothing Mm. like what we pulled out of the Susquehanna that day. Okay, okay, okay. So you're right. Like the scale could be played with, but where I was going to go with it, maybe, and it sounds like you you probably accomplished this as well, is uh, particularly if you're going to do a larger one, is once that 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 you know, I'll use the word portal or or maybe even connective tissue. I'll say connective tissue. That's a little bit different um, of what is created. You know, that's got a, that has a quality, you know, just through intention and action um, and, and purposeful. Yeah, I guess that's intention, uh, purpose, purposeful um, movement, like you've created something. And then, you know, that's, we can look at our natural world or not our natural world. We can look at the world we live in as a model of the natural world or at least more universal laws. So like what we do in our false reality matrix is um, electricity, artificial electricity is created and then it is stored in a battery. And then you can use that. You don't have, it gives you more freedom to move about. Well, that's a universal truth I would suggest. And so as you created that quality, you then have something much more personal. Like, you know, this is where you get into the nature of, of um, you know, some specific minerals, whether that be like a, a quartz crystal or something like that, but something which holds a quality, something which can be programmed. And so you program it to, to capture, you know, you put it in the center of your circle and you program it to capture the quality which was just created. It's an energetic, uh, you know, it's a blueprint. And so then when you have that in your battery in your mineral battery and you carry that with you outside of that wheel, you always have, um, a literal, uh, and, and material link. And that doesn't mean that, that without a material link, you're still not linked. But when you have something which is material, it's a tool It aids in the process. And so thinking about like these circles is, is, um, uh, very, um, you know, uh, a practice, which you can do to really like kind of ground yourself outside of the, the story, which we've been all given, like, you know, this is a great, a great, great, really like fun, creative, uh, interesting practice, which anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, why it kind of stood out to us. We, we're in this uh, small, small town in the eastern, northeastern half of New York State, and we are looking for an apartment, which we still are, <laughs> haven't quite found the right one yet, uh, but we're looking for an apartment in Pines Plains, or Pine Plains, New York, and you know, after finding out the apartment we were looking at that day was very, very, uh, you know, not where we wanted to live let's just say that and we we decided okay well let's make the best of this we're kind of far out of our way here so we went to a bookstore that's where we found dancing with the wheel now i say that because the second book that links this kind of journey that i'm hoping to get into here um was spirit in the zone which is a book i've spoke to you about before on this show Uh, Glenn Kreisberg writes about a number of different topics, but in one chapter, he kind of offhand mentions the Hammonasset Ley Line, which we talked about last episode and probably the episode before that. Um, So that became 
immediately fascinating. Much like this workbook, you know, we were able to explore our local area with more information and, you know, see what's actually out here. And when you're, when you're dealing with ley lines, it's like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, you know, that Freemason building is cool and whatnot. It looks strange. But then you find out that the Freemason building is built on the ley line. And then you find out, oh, wait, it's one of many Freemason lodges built on this ley line. Schools, even a prison, one of the biggest mm. prisons in the state, are all built on this ley line. Now, you know, talking about those that ley line so much, you recommended Peter Champois' book, which I ordered. And that became another really great addition with the Gaia Matrix. And... Unfortunately, no, the Hammonasset line is not on his map of ley lines. I think we talked about that last week, but there is the Peacemaker ley line. And you asked me about the Peacemaker ley line, maybe because it was, you know, the most memorable of the ley lines or just stood out to you when you happened to look through this book. But I found out that the Peacemaker ley line is very significant. Uh, and it taught me a couple things that I didn't know that kind of connect back to like the Williamsburg conversation that we were having and possibly more. So the cultural corridor called the Peacemaker Lay was named after the native prophet Degana Wida, who introduced a code of life to the tribes of the Iroquois nation with the help of his spokesman Hiawatha. So Hiawatha is the guy who inspired the Constitution of the United States. The indigenous tribes, you know, you hear about how the founding fathers studied with the indigenous tribes and and that's how they they created their, you know, constitution with the inspiration from the Iroquois nation. Well, that happened yeah. along the peacemaker line and one of the many you know, traditions that Hiawatha and Deganewida inspired was the tradition of the longhouse, which was like a gathering place for many different tribes. You know, uh, usually uh, elder, very respected member of the tribe would have a longhouse built for them. And then that would be sort of like their you know, meeting place where they would have meetings and, and whatnot. And the reason why this was so significant for me is because here in Connecticut there's a legend of Lake Waramog and Chief Waramog having the biggest most splendid artistically decorated for its time longhouse in all of the East Coast so hmm. you know the more I the more I dig into these books and there's a couple more that have come up since the Gaia Matrix, but the more I dig into these books, the more I'm finding those, you know, as we discussed previously, those kind of hindsight moments where you realize like, oh, I've heard of this before, but not in this context. And it really just, it, it A, it feels cool and B, it's kind of, uh, it's hard to, to relay, you know, you kind of just have to be there and experience it. Uh, but yeah, the, the longhouses are, so, go ahead. 
can I ask you a bunch of questions? Yeah. Well, and, and the right. peacemaker right. line, like you said last week, I forgot to bring this part up. It is aligned with Cooperstown, New York in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the uh, highest, nor- most northern point of the Susquehanna River. So, yeah, you were correct about that. Yeah. Um, so the first question I have is uh, you said Hiawatha was the interpreter of whom? Hiawatha was the smoke, the spokesman. Spokesman. Yep. Of, uh, and I could totally be pronouncing this wrong, but it's Degana Wida, D E G A N A W I D A H. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to refer, I'm going to refer to that individual just as DW. So you know who I'm talking about. So DW, and you may not know the answer to this, but this is, these are the questions which I'm starting to have is like, uh, is spokesperson the same as an interpreter? Um, you know, who is this DW? Why did he need a spokesperson? Why could not he speak for himself? Well, assuming it's a he, maybe it's a female. Um, uh, so that is what I would be interested in. Did, is this, is this uh, a person coming from outside? You know, why is this new to the Iroquois nation? Where did this come from? Like, I find that very fascinating. Um, do you have any thoughts or any more insight along those lines? No, other than what I can Google and, and find about him. But it seems like the word uh, that we're calling DW is, is also, uh, it means the great peacemaker. The great peacemaker. Within the, the Iroquois language. Gotcha. And so uh, not to go down a, um, not to go down a tangent, but this reminds me, of a book, and I think uh, next time I see you, I'm going to let you look at it. And I think it's uh, I can't recall I can't recall the title, um, but the author's last name I believe is Hansen H A N S E N, um, and that name will make will be significant in a moment. But what the book is is it is a collection of indigenous stories of the peacemaker and it is and it's throughout um all of north america and down through mesoamerican south america so um and it's organized um like it'll say you know where the story is from from what people and then it will retell the story and so there are a couple things that are fascinating about this so the first thing is you know as i don't want to forget to to go back to us, but the Hiawatha story, as you told it, parallels another story called the Conasatego story, but we'll go back to that. So I want to go and say, we've got this peacemaker connection. And so my question was like, you know, who is this peacemaker? Who is like, you know, one layer beneath it. And so we see, um, we see the, this, this particularly in North America, South America, and, and, you know, middle America is, um, there's a peacemaker narrative. Now, the author of this book, uh, I have a first edition book of this, um, which is interesting. First editions are always good because it's before they've been edited for whatever, for whatever reason. But nonetheless, so it's a first edition book. It came out in 1963. So it was written, it was written with that sort of context. It's very important to understand, um, to understand kind of like the cultural feel as, as, um, you know, information is being presented because, um, 
you know, that, that gives you more insight. So there's that. And then it is written from a perspective that the peacemaker is actually Jesus. So the author is a, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, is a, is a, a practicing or was a practice, was a believer was a believer. And so I'm not saying that whether it's the right belief or the wrong belief, I'm just saying that for context. So the author is writing the book from that context that th- these stories are, are all, um, are all proof or demonstration that Jesus came to, uh, into the Americas. I, I uh, cannot, I'm like, I'm like jumping out of my seat right now because let, like let me folks, just say, well, I just want to say we don't prepare for this. Uh, we don't tell each other what we're going to be talking about. We're just doing this off the top of the head. So go ahead, Mike. Sorry. So, okay. Okay. All right. All right. So, so the third thing to know about this author, um, and when I first read it, when I first read it, it was the name, the name read as a male. Like my interpretation was a male wrote this, wrote this story or wrote this book. And then you come to find that it was a female. And so she is the daughter of a of, um, of a, I want to say probably a geologist, like a, a teaching geologist. And he is the guy who came up with, the um, the tectonic plate theory. So our understanding of how Earth works right now on the basic level is that we have these tectonic plates and they move about. And so this is the guy who came up with that theory. That theory is is more or less um, presented in all of our our education systems as being fact, whether it's fact or not, I don't know. But but this is where that idea came from. So prior to him, like that was not what how people understood the workings of Earth. But so the point I'm trying to make is she comes from a certain level of academic rigor. You can just imagine what, what the household was like and what the belief system and, you know, what the, what the father kind of like uh, talked about his perspective as he raised his children. But then we also want to say, uh, uh, the, the author of the book was an academic in her own right. Whereas I think she had three PhDs, including like, um, I want to say, uh, um, indigenous uh, cultures, like an anthropology degree with that concentration. She had a PhD in ancient Egyptology and something else. Like this woman is like no slouch. So like, even when you hear me saying like, when, when you talk about something like, like Jesus, when you bring that into the discussion, it can very easily in our modern world, like create like a very like a uh, quick response, whether you're in alignment with it, or if you're like, no, that's ridiculous or what have you like that, that can create a response. Um, but I want to point out that this woman, you know, whatever her spiritual beliefs may have been, she also comes at it from this very like lot, like, you know, science-based sort of perspective. So that's what made that book so fascinating to me. And then also the commentary, in addition to the stories of what the viewpoint was to, um, indigenous culture in the early sixties, when you're still seeing all of these like cowboy and Indian films are still being part of like the mainstream narrative. But this is coming from a woman who has a PhD in anthropology. So like, she's not necessarily underneath that guy. So, 
to me, it was this book is so interesting because it is a snapshot of that perspective. And it was, you know, I don't want to go down the specifics yet, but 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 I wanted to bring that in and I, I and and we should discuss this book later because I think that it's tied in directly to this peacemaker line that for as you said, for whatever reason, that was the one of the many of the many ley lines that popped up to my mind. I don't know why I said it. And then it resonates with you. I I was immediately thinking of the peas when you were talking about the uh, the 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 place, the apartment where you and Tara went. The uh, um, and then the pea comes up again. So it's like we're we're, we're certainly we're certainly tapped into something. And as, as you said to the listeners at home, like this is how the sausage is being made. Like, I don't know what you're going to say next, but my guess is like what I'm saying is, is hitting something of meaning to you. So I'm going to hand it back to you. I want to hear what you <laughs> yes. guys said. Three, three layers. Okay. So let me, All right. let me break down the last one. Cause it's the freshest. So you said the peas, you thought of the peas and I don't know how much of this we're familiar or made each other familiar with, but Tara, um, since I've met her, a big theme in our relationship has been the Pleiadians who kind of go by the peas on their, um, I guess you can call it a podcast, but it's not really a podcast. You have to buy uh, each episode and it's kind of like Barbara Marciniak channeling the Pleiadians. Well, the first book I ever gave Tara when I was just kind of hoping she would go out with me a couple years ago was a book by Barbara Marciniak, coincidentally. And, um, and so, you know, the, the Pleiadians are very significant to her and, and somewhat significant to me and more so since we're together because I'm, I'm more interested in it cause she's so interested in them. Um, so the peas, yes, uh, that I don't want that to distract me too much, but it does connect because so we find the Gaia Matrix book, and just like I told you um, last week, you know, that brought us up to Shelburne Falls. And we followed his ley line called the Chakra Ley, which goes from south to north up to Shelburne Falls. And in Shelburne Falls, we found a book called The Manitou, The Sacred Landscape of New England native civilization so while this this book doesn't mention ley lines very much um, they do talk about the shakers and they talk about this time when you know indigenous cultures religions and the puritans and the shakers and the quakers and the uh, muslims and the socianians whoever they are and the papists and uh, the romanists as they were called I'm, I'm almost certain those are roman catholics so all these different groups were in the united states specifically massachusetts at this time and you know the big famous um the, the big famous, you know, story about about the Native Americans is, you know, why we have Thanksgiving, right? The European settlers landed at Plymouth Rock, and that began the sort of benevolent friendship between the indigenous people and the, the colonists. Well, we know, we both know that that story is not that simple. And what's interesting about Plymouth Rock is it is on the Peacemaker line, and it goes and connects the Peacemaker line. Well, the Peacemaker line connects the Plymouth Rock all the way to Niagara Falls, the Great Lakes, 
this area that is very, very uh, spiritual and sacred to the Iroquois nation. And I, I should correct myself because um, the great peacemaker is not what Degen Nawida's name meant. It's, it's actually, you know, his name that they gave him out of respect instead of his proper name, right? So out of respect, they wouldn't say Dega Noida, maybe because it's hard to pronounce, um, and instead called him the Great Peacemaker. And he's one of the founders of the Iroquois Confederacy. So this guy's very significant, and he comes from Onondaga, which is a lake in present-day Syracuse, New York, but it's also named that because that was a very sacred place to the indigenous peoples. Well, the Hamanasset Ley Line and the Peacemaker Ley Line, they meet at Onondaga Lake. So, you know, for me, when I saw that connection just now, while we were talking, I was like, boom, that's, that's very significant. Have to bring that up. And then the second thing that made me... Uh, really interested is is this idea that you know the the author you're referring to the woman is talking about this kind of like almost like a like indigenous prophet right where the indigenous peoples are being converted to Christianity and there's this sort of meeting in the middle where now what I would suspect is and this is all speculation but you know, you have a group of people who are much more connected to the actual spiritual nature of what it means to be human. You know, in my opinion, being connected to the land would give you maybe greater access to that in those realms. You have uh, these people, you know, almost like being converted in that time period to a new form of um, understanding that spiritual world right they're being given a whole given a whole new set of terms to understand that kind of new world so to speak the the christian world right and it's interesting that you bring this up because i was just reading last night about the puritans and the shakers and how they interacted and what their interactions were like with the indigenous people and you know we talked about yale before i, I don't live too far from yale I, I worked uh not for yale but within a job that you know was on campus and i learned a lot about yale it was unsettling and sometimes and inspiring at others but there's a character named ezra styles who was the president of yale college for some time in the um, 1700s he lived from 1727 to 1759 and um and he was one of the most important uh recorders of indigenous culture in this area you know there weren't many english speakers or english writers you know very interested in that subject at the time so with the prejudice that might Maybe we can get into that, too, because that, I think, is an aspect of the whole uh, noble, savage, kind of Christianized Indian theme, that whole world. Um, but, you know, we see in a guy like Ezra Stiles this point in time when 
you know, the men who founded this country, so to speak, they, you can see through Ezra Styles, maybe how they would have been more open to learning about the Iroquois Confederacy and then being inspired to incorporate those ideas into the Constitution. Because it says that Ezra Styles, you know, he was kind of conflicted obviously he was amongst Christians and, and learning about Christianity and he ended up becoming a deist, right? And a lot of men from the American, from American history are deists, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Paine, they were all deists. And he was, you know, kind of in this underground theology scene within Yale uh, him and the other deists and it was kind of around this same time when Armenianism which has nothing to do with the present country of Armenia but Armenianism uh, which was kind of like a rebut towards this really really strict Calvinism that taught people that they could only do good things in the name of God you know, they were starting to get this idea like, well, people do good things and it's not necessarily in the name of God. You know, you see this sort of this really uh, strict, rigid idea of God in the colonialists. And then on the transverse side, you see the indigenous cultures who live with God in the sense of like their words are not symbols for ideas the words in indigenous cultures languages are the ideas themselves so they're living through these ideas they're not um they're not merely kind of like symbolically referring to them uh in the same way maybe a western consciousness we're led to think western consciousness would in this time period so that to me kind of sheds light on why the indigenous cultures were kind of close to folks like the deists in a sense because they had a common understanding of these supernatural powers existing in everything you know combining the rational and the supernatural um without that sort of anthropocentricity that you have with western culture you know the indigenous cultures they were just in it you know and and the deists were way more you know close to that than the Puritans were, thus why they were able to appreciate some of these themes uh, more deeply than maybe like the Puritans who were kind of the majority at the time in certain areas. But then you see in a group like the Shakers, you see a pretty close relationship with the indigenous cultures, you know, where they have more things in common than, um, than the average colonists. So here is where you see a lot of connections being formed. And funny enough, those communities, the Shaker communities, were on the Peacemaker line in um, places that I don't think exist anymore. I'm pretty sure the, the Shaker community got, uh, you know, they sold their land and, and it's it's now owned by a uh, Sufi mosque but either way this is kind of the theme you know when a sacred place is given up it sometimes gets just like repurposed by another religion can you tell me about the shakers practice and or beliefs the shakers yeah 
Not, not, <laughs> not, what do you know about the shakers? Not much. Um, not much more than I can Google for you right now. <laughs> so, so the sh- all right. So the shakers they shake. Is that a is that an assumption that I can make? Is that the, how they got their name? Yeah, they're the shaking Quakers. The shaking Quakers. So so why are they shaking? What are they doing? I imagine they're doing like the um, what we see like now in the South, like the tongue, the the you know. Uh, kind of uh, trance-like behavior, going into a trance through through movement. Were the shakers the the celibate? They were celibate, right? Yeah, and pacifists. And, they, and pacifists, and they made um, exquisite furniture, correct? And they still, I think they still do. Uh, if you, I mean, they just might not be in as organized as they used to be, but yeah, their 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 uh, descendants still do, yeah. All right. Okay. But, but you don't know much more about you were, you were talking about their beliefs being, uh, being closer to the natural world. Um, do you have any more on that? Well, only, uh, only a little bits and pieces. Cause I haven't, I mean, I will admit I'm not that prolific of a reader, Mike. I haven't made it completely through the Manitow book, but that is chapter eight, and I'm looking forward to it. Gotcha. Okay, um, okay. I don't mean to put. No, you in no, the no. Spot. It's okay, but th- but you can see just through the shaking Quakers, like you can maybe see there's some shamanistic aspects to the Shakers' practices. Well, I mean, and, and really, where my interest was is. Uh, the next show, the next show, which I'm doing with Emily, uh, and we're going to have another guest on, and they're going to be talking a lot about dancing and how dance and what dancing means to them. Like Emily's like a techno dancer, like, but she takes it with this very kind of mystical perspective. And, uh, I'm not really certain what she's going to say, but, but where my mind is, is, is looking at, um, the uh the continuity of like whether we just want to call it dancing or movement within tapping into the natural world you know whether it's like you know that's one thing about the shakers i'm like okay well what do we know about the shakers um because thinking about like everything we know of, of of indigenous indigenous culture and that dancing everything which we know about dancing in um like African cultures in not so, yeah, like in all of these cultures, we can see this dancing. And so I'm like, okay, well, what, what is it? What, what is that actually doing? And that's so I'm, I'm excited to, for the conversation with Emily, because I want to hear what she's saying on a possibly universal practice though applied to, you know, a different sort of, um, uh, uh, medium, you know, being like modern computer generated music, or at least computer influenced music. So, and that's where my where where my interest was coming from, as it relates to that, because mm. I think there's something there. I think there's something really, and then also like just thinking about the in my mind the the juxtaposition of what I'm imagining what shakers are, because on its most on the most basic level, it's it's surrendering the body to like wherever this movement is coming from. And, you know, once it's more organized or more structured, you know, then it moves into dance. But when I'm hearing shaking, like I'm thinking like the most basic. Um, 
but like being total out of control and like, like thinking about shaking movements, but then comparing that to, uh, like incredibly conscious movements of like Qigong of Eastern movement arts, uh, and, and like how that is probably playing with a very similar type of energy, but in a very, very different way. And so that, that to me is really fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, that's why I wanted to touch on it because it's this time in American history where, you know, we, we have an impression that, oh, well, the indigenous cultures, they only, um, you know, we're just wiped out, which is not untrue but there was a lot of integration that took place and i don't think through that integration um you know everything was lost some things like we see were connected and and the shakers i think helped preserve some of those maybe shamanistic practices that uh the indigenous peoples were practicing here i mean you know to the spirit in the stone book again glenn talks about how all of these places where indigenous peoples were doing powwows uh and getting together for ceremonies you know would be named you know with the prefix devils so you have like devil's den and devil's tower and the devil's swamp and devil's this and that right all over all over the map you know and and up the hudson river you know the dutch saw a, a powwow going on while they were sailing up the hudson river and they were like oh that's the uh you know the devil's river <laughs> um actually i'm sorry i think it's it's not the devil's river but it's on it's it's where wappinger falls is to this day where wappinger falls and hudson river where they two where those two rivers meet um that's where these indigenous people were seen and and now that place has you know the name devil something i don't remember uh whether it's tower or island or something like that but yeah this is a kind of strange thing that happened with uh with their culture it kind of got mystified but it did get you know demonicized in a way like it, it, everything was demonic and they didn't understand um you know what they were worshiping like these stone idols right they called them idolatrous because they were worshiping stone idols but what's really interesting is that these god stones as indigenous people called them or, or manitou they were carved white quartz statues of like men and, and women you know very rough statues but you know the theory is like well where did these come from i don't know what the whether they say you know the native americans worked them themselves but it seems like they found stones that looked anthropomorphic already and then maybe made some superficial adjustments to them and then that was you know it wasn't an idol but it was the creator in nature you know which is in my opinion what the whole spiritual culture uh and where the shakers and the indigenous people intersect in a way is is in that understanding of the real of a real experience with the divine a real connection to it hmm. but to bring it back to ezra styles 
he was very interested in um, in these idols, as he called them, and they took some of the god stones, one that was found in Hartford. It was like three feet tall and about one foot wide, and it had like the kind of rough shape of like a head, shoulders, and kind of like hands and, a, and, and legs, you know, so thus the, the, a man in a stone. And it, it just, it's so interesting, you know, because one of the things that you said I don't remember if it was on the higher side chats or, or just in one of your videos about Susquehanna, uh, but you mentioned the uh, Algonquin language having some similarities to Gaelic. Well, all of this stonework is very, very connected to the types of stone monuments and stone megaliths we see in Ireland, Scotland, and, and Great Britain, right? So, you know, and that's not to say that, oh, well, that's because white Irish people or Scottish people were here doing it and it wasn't the Native Americans, but you, you see sort of evidence for this kind of cross-pollination of culture much earlier than this colonial time that we have more records of. Did you see, I sent you a link to a video this week. Did I you did. get... Did you see the video? I did. Oh, so you know, so those stone, the stone walls, the cards. Yes, those are all, that's exactly what is going on here in New England. Um, correct, so, correct. And that's correct. all up in the northern half of Pennsylvania for the most part, northern and eastern side, right? Uh, yes, and there was also, I remember they did uh, some stones in Susquehanna County, which I thought was interesting because you just got that book. Yeah, the 900-page centennial history of the Susquehanna County in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, so uh, remind me to come back to the book because I, I want to say something on that. But, um, you know, before we get too far off topic, but <laughs> that's what's fun about this. So um, I want to, I want to kind of play around with some of, with some of these ideas, which, which we're kind of flirting around with right now. Um, my personal opinion is uh, like all of these indications of whether it's these um, uh, these stone stone walls and and monuments which are found throughout the northeast these mysterious stone walls and monuments which are found throughout the northeast these the 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 idols the the quartz carved uh, statues that you were talking about or even the the similarities between the, um, the the Gaelic language and 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 Algonquin, um, I think like you know it, it that points to like a, a bigger mystery. Like you know I I I still question everything that's that's told to us. So it's like you know going back to going back to like you know cross pollination. I think like maybe it was totally a different story all said and done. But I don't know. We don't know that yet. But but where, where I want to go with this is there's lots of clues and we can ascertain and we can like, you know, go and discover our own way. I think that's what we're doing. Like you with like the, uh, coming with like the ley lines and all the stuff that's going on. But I want to throw this out there. This is what I find, um, a, <laughs> this tickles me. So I'm curious if it's going to tickle you as well. So, um, are you familiar with Yale's motto? I should be. No, tell me. Uh, well, it's in Latin. So, are you in front of your computer? Yeah, I can look it up. Yeah, have... why don't you pull that up? Why don't you pull that up real quickly? Cool. I think it's the 
It, it, if you were to go on the Wikipedia page where they have like the, the little rectangle on the right-hand side, they list all the things. It's not their motto. It's what's written on their flag, which may be different than their motto. It might be that. Is it Lux et Veritas? Yeah, that's the motto. So that's like light is truth, I think. But on the flag, can you open up, can you get a, a blow up of the flag? Yes. Expand the image? Yes. Yeah, I have, uh, I just picked up a book um, a, couple, a month ago and it's kind of like the controversial foundation of Yale and how they have, uh, <laughs> you know, some controversy about the real founders and who they were. Because it is kind of an interesting story. They, you know, came from two towns over and chose Yale and, you know, wanted to make this mystical college and all this stuff. But Right, 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 right. right. So what, I think it's on the flag. Uh, what does it say on the flag? Let me see. It says uh, Lux et Veritas, but then it has a book open with uh, with uh, Hebrew. It's got okay. So I don't remember exactly how. So I'm going by memory, but there is a very very direct link with uh, Yale and their motto or their flag and. Um, uh, what is it? The, the Urim and the Thummim. I might not be pronouncing that correctly. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say those two words? The U R I M and the T H U M M I M. So the first instance of this is in the Old Testament, and it is with within the high priest the Canaanite high priests, they had like a breastplate with all these different um, sacred stones, you know, all these minerals, all these crystals. And, and you could always like read about the different stones which were on the high priest's chest, uh, breastplate. But they had two special stones, which are this human and thermomen. I always just think about it as thermomen. Like in my mind, that's that's how I remember. It. So I'm not, I'm not. But it's it's got those letters. It's got like a URM, and you can go and 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 find out all the information. But what they are, uh, the the most basic, the most basic understanding of them is there's the white stone and the black stone, and they are used purely for divination purpose. And so this is like a very divinatory practice, like where you got like the white stone means yes and the black stone means no. And so the the the, the high priests were in communication with who they were communicating with, and they were getting their information through the stones. Mm. All right, and that is referenced in uh, the Yale in the Yale motto, like that 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 phrase made directly, I, I can't remember the specifics, but it's connected. And so the point being is like, you know, you have this institution of, of, of higher rational thought, but it's really based upon like the opposite of it. And that's not to say that mysticism doesn't hold, hold, um, value. It's just that it is supposedly a different value system than like, you know, the real rational, like I'm going to demonstrate and prove and be able to prove things as most institutions at that time were thought of doing. But as you're indicating, this was really based upon like more of a mystical outlook. And then you also have on the flag, you have the, uh, um, God, I'm, I'm going to butcher this word as well. Uh, the Tetra something gram. Uh, it's those four Hebrew letters. Do you see those? Mm-hmm. And so that is like that from the, the tetragrammaton. Uh, yes, that's it. And that's the 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 shorthand version of the seventy-two letter 
uh, name of God, which you're not allowed to say, which is mirrored very much so in the um, in the peacemaker. <laughs> you're starting to see like these common stories, like you know. And the question is, like you know, has this been has this been astroturf? Have they put these stories there, or is this a universal truth? I don't know, but we can see that they're similar. We'll, we'll go with that, but we see that in Yale. And so where I'm going with this, like I'm going really two levels deeper. That was just the preface. So. Fast forward to Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania, the place where we see the stones. And for the the folks like uh, Mark, if you could include that link in the show notes, like it's a really interesting presentation done by like the the Pennsylvania Waterkeepers Association, like really like environmentalist mindset explaining these stone structures found throughout the 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 northeast pennsylvania landscape which they're saying like yeah we don't have any explanation like the 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 native people say that this came before them they don't know who built them like no one knows who built this sort of stuff so it's like like what we're saying is like really demonstrable like you know there's a there's a lot of history here that we don't understand no matter how we want to look at it but if we can go with a very very open eyes and like you know freeing ourselves of any story like hopefully we'll navigate so nonetheless Susquehanna County, where you showed me you got a book, where we see these mysterious stones, this within the Church of the Latter-day Saints, you know, the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church is very, very significant. We just know that by the money they have, the uh, the widespread of their book, the fact that they go and they, they prophesize throughout the entire Earth, and they've got, they own the most powerful genealogical database on the planet Earth, you know, that they, within their history or mythology or whatever you want to call it um, their founder Joseph Smith used the white stone and the black stone you know this is their literature the the, the Urimin and the Thummim to go and translate the golden disc that he found that he was given which became the Book of Mormon so now we have connected to this part of the world like this 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 um, this uh, um, uh, location uh, on the Susquehanna River where Joseph Smith lives. Like you can go to it. I would highly recommend going to it if you haven't been there before. It's called the Restoration Site. It's run by the the uh, by the Mormon Church. You know, it's open all year round. Like it's it's fantastic. Um, definitely go there and check it out. But this is where you know uh, this white stone and black stone were said to be used. And within a lot of like discussion, like scholarly discussion on like what is the what is the white stone or, or black stone, like assuming that it's a real powerful thing, like uh, one of the 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 common thoughts is that it's not necessarily like uh, like one white stone and one black stone, but it refers to any kind of white stone or special white stones and black stones which which have this capability. So we know that or within the history of of the Mormon church that Joseph Smith used this white stone and black stone in order to, um, to, to translate this golden disc into the, the book of Mormon. So now we're going to go one level with deeper because now we're looking at a white stone and a black stone. And you know, for me, like the story always goes back to like why the Susquehanna river, the Susquehanna river in itself is very, very significant to all of the stories on life on earth. And so now we're looking at a white stone and black stone. And if we look at the Susquehanna River Valley, there are two large deposits which are found in this river valley, mineral deposits which are not found anywhere else on the earth 
or are found in much, much smaller or less pure, um, in less pure state. And so the first one being the Herkimer diamond. And the Herkimer diamond is a, a water clear quartz, di- uh, uh, quartz crystal, but it is naturally double terminated. That's what makes it so unique. It means it's got pointy sides on, um, on both, on both ends. And 99.999% of all quartz, as it grows naturally, it grows perpendicular to the horizontal, or to the, to the perpendicular to the plane of the earth. It grows out. There's a base and then it grows up. So the dates are where it grows from, whatever mineral it's growing upon, um, that is where it meets, where it meets the earth. And then you get the point for where it grows up. Herkimer or any naturally occurring uh, double-terminated quartz crystals. And not all double-terminated quartz crystals are naturally occurring, but the naturally occurring ones, they're growing horizontally. So not to say like vertical is good or horizontal is better or anything like that. It's just about different and rarity of occurrence. So what we have in um, Kirkhamer, New York, which is uh, probably 15 to 20 miles straight line to the source location of the Susquehanna River is the only place where we find what are known as Herkimer diamonds, these water clear. So there are some places where there are a handful of other places on earth where it's known that double terminated quartz crystals do occur, but they are not the ones which, which are unique to Herkimer are water clear, they're crystal clear, they look like, uh, or at least they have the potential, not all of them, but they have the potential of being um, uh, without any inclusions within them. They're naturally double terminated. They were found everywhere, maybe not so much anymore, but like at a point, like, you know, you just go in any creek in this one place on earth and you could just find these, these crystals. And another indication within the Herkimer diamond is that when you start to kind of move it around in your hand and reflect the light, there's this uh, rainbow, uh, um, there's a rainbow iridescence, which begins to show inside of the crystal, which is not found in other uh, quartz crystals. It's very rare. So it's a combination of this rarity, which really indicates that regardless of culture, regardless of value system, you're just walking around the earth and you see this is what a stone looks like. You're like, wow, this is special. This is unique. This is valuable. This is something. So we have that at the source location of the Susquehanna River. And then midway from, um, from uh, Cooperstown, New York to Sunbury, Pennsylvania, which is where Edison built his first three-wire um, uh, distribution plant where the North Branch and the West Branch come together. Like right around there is where we have Scranton, New York. And Scranton, Pennsylvania, excuse me. And beneath Scranton is the largest deposit of anthracite in the entire, known in all of Earth. Like anthracite is a coal. It is the rarest of coal. It is the purest of coal, meaning it is almost 98% to, to, to 99.999% um, carbon. If it was 100%, it would be graphite, which is a different, which is different. But this anthracite, is the uh, graphite does not burn, but anthracite will. It is a a mineral which burns, which is what the definition of coal is, and it's the purest form. And only two percent of all coal on Earth is this very pure anthracite. And ninety eight percent of all of that anthracite is found right there in Scranton, and it is jet black. 
So without getting into like what anthracite is, it's incredibly unique. It's different than other black stones in the fact that it burns and they do not. And then we have this very, very unique white crystal clear um, uh, Herkimer diamond. And right in between the two, probably like 50 miles upstream and 50 miles downstream is where Joseph Smith used the white stone and the black stone to be able to go and connect with whatever it is he connected with. The story is like, you know, these stones are, are very powerful and they are found uh, in a natural, unique abundance in this mysterious part of the earth. And all around it is where you're finding all of these very significant ley lines and very significant um, parts of, of, of the American like pre-colonial history. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny. I don't know if we touched on this at all on this show, but Connecticut used to have a land claim going all the way uh, west into Pennsylvania and what is now like northern Pennsylvania and uh, like kind of central New York. There was this kind of dispute. And that's why um, down in Wilkesbury, a place where I happen to go through uh before we first met there was that connecticut colony that i stumbled upon and i was kind of like wow i come all the way here and i find a you know this uh reminder of home but yeah it is a extremely significant area and um wow i'm i'm wondering that's exact that's well i just want to be clear we're talking about the exact same place you're talking about it's called 44th Whatever, like it's called Forty Fort, right? So that's where the that's where this 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 Connecticut company came. They came to Forty Foot Fort. Uh, they founded Forty Fort, which predates Wilkesbury, which predates Scranton. Wilkesbury and Scranton are like what ten miles apart. This right. is the same area. This is on top of this swath of anthracite deposit is maybe like thirty forty miles long. It's this real skinny deposit beneath the earth of this of this incredibly rare black stone that will light on fire other stones do not light on fire it is a different it is a different it is a different substance like you know we 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 limit what it is by thinking about it as a fossil fuel but when you go to the deeper level like this is a very very special thing the Connecticut folks that's where they came this is what they laid claim to this is what they fought for. Right. And that that those Connecticut folks were from New Haven, the New Haven colony, because it, at that time there was two colonies in the area now known as Connecticut. There was what was uh, then like Hartford County uh, and now sort of like the northern half of Connecticut was one colony called the Connecticut colony. And then there was New Haven colony, which was the shore New Haven, which was originally named by the Dutch for the two, uh, red sort of mountains on either side of this, um, river mouth, the Quinnipiac river that we talked about last week. And, um, and yeah, so, it's interesting that this colony has its connections in New Haven, where Yale is born, and uh, and down there in Pennsylvania. Not only in uh, that area, but also in Philadelphia. They had a uh, a land claim down in Philadelphia in the area that became kind of like the 
main part of town in Philadelphia, right? So, yeah, you see this theme, and it's funny because Ross Ben, when I met him in Pennsylvania or in Philadelphia, and he toured us around Wixahickon Creek, he asked me, you know, what's the Connecticut mystery? And uh, you know, each each week talking to you, I feel like it's coming together more and more. And when you said the thing about the tetragrammaton i'm looking at the um the seal of yale university because i couldn't find uh any flags that had anything with like more words than lux et veritas but there is a seal that says sigil call yalin yalin uh nove port nove angle right so i don't speak latin but um but when you said tetragrammaton another synchronicity there because i uh i listened to your conversation with chance garten you guys did a, a podcast a while back about the tau of multi-dimensional creativity that's how he titled the the episode and you, you guys were talking about the i ching and i thought to myself oh, i don't have a card deck uh i don't have an I Ching card deck i should go look for one and i couldn't find one but instead i bought this uh this deck called the rota mundi tarot and um wow it's it's incredible because the third uh let's see the yeah the four of pentacles is the tetragrammaton and this whole book basically breaks down the kabbalah and the um and the tarot and uses the card deck rather as a instructional tool instead of just a divinatory tool so this week i bought a very uh very deep divinatory tool and you know here we are talking about joseph smith divining things with the black and the white stone this uh this tarot deck is all about the kabbalah and very interesting how they use the trump cards and kind of show the kabbalistic meaning behind the trump cards and then uh there's sort of like the rosicrucian alchemical wedding encoded in like the uh, wands cards i'm sorry not the wands uh the the cups and then in the uh swords as well and then the pentacles break down all the different um seals like the seal of solomon uh the petra or i'm sorry the pentagrammaton the tetragrammaton the three pillars so it's it's really more of a, a instructional tool than a proper tarot card deck but you can use it for both and uh and yeah, it, I'm only starting to dig into this. All right, all right. So let me let me say a couple things. So um, I'll, let me first re read this from YaleNews.com. If you've gathered this much wisdom, then it probably does not escape you that our school motto is Urim and Thummim, which is Hebrew for Lux et Veritas, which in turn is Latin for Light and Truth emblazoned on the Yale seal are these two ancient words. So, so that's where it was. So that, that is the connection. So you mentioned the, that the company that went to and lay claim in Pennsylvania, they were part of the new Haven colony, correct? Yeah. 
So the New Haven Colony, New Haven Colony, at least to this state, is probably best known or, you know, arguably best known is for Yale University because that's what happened there, right? That's its its biggest mark on the world, if you could say. Like, and that's a pretty big mark well, for an institution. Yes, and also I will say it's uh, the place where the, the three judges who killed Charles I uh, were led by Iroquois people um to to safe harbor in new haven on those mounds i was talking about the red well the dutch called them red mounds they're they're mountains right but from a from a like a, a consciousness a cultural awareness perspective like if if that were going to be like the question like for all the right, people right, in the world right, right, people, right. like it'll be yale and so what i'm getting at is like there is this connection between twice now from um it kind of triangulates between that location, those people, the founding of that institution, the idea of a white stone and a black stone, and then coming to like way before Joseph Smith, uh, coming to this area, like, you know, whether purposefully or not with this black stone and Joe, Joseph Smith in that same general area on the same river is then, then use a black stone. Like you begin to see like the link is really, really deep. And so, like, the point is, like, you definitely got to, like, what is anthracite? What is anthracite? Like, those sort of questions. And I will also say that they are framing this up in a Kabbalistic, uh, in a Kabbalistic perspective. That's not to say the Kabbalistic perspective is bad or good. It's just, like, that is that perspective. And you could see, like, Yale, the fact that it also has not just, like, the white stone and black stone as their motto, but they have on, on their, their seal, they have that Kabbalistic, um, that Kabbalistic uh, 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 70, uh, or sh- sh- abbreviation for the 72-lettered word or name of God. And so it's like we can see all of that, but we can also go a level deeper and go and work with the substance ourselves. So I don't want to go and, and discount, like, you know, or, or at least be a little bit more clear, like just because these, these links, relate to these things just like how you're saying like you know an area which seemingly is charged for whatever reason had been uh deemed the the devil's den like you know we can like we could get rid of all of those sort of names and we could go and experience those those locations and free ourselves from any sort of initial um uh, frame of reference to understand what's happening here, or even use this frame of references with, with the knowledge and understanding that it's just a frame of reference and it's not the only one. Right. So I just want to point out all of that. Um, and what, what, what I was thinking about, which is kind of funny, and I want to throw this out there, um, and this is a good way to counterbalance. You just talked all about that, that um, the, the tarot deck which you just got. And um, uh, I'll just share kind of my perspective and take it for whatever it's worth. Like I like the, the tarot, um, the tarot is a very, very established language, uh, mystical language in, you know, human consciousness, like just the number of people who have studied it, who understood that these symbols or these cards mean this basic sort of archetype. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of mental energy that has gone to it. And so, um, that's, that comes with both, um, like a, a, a real wealth and foundation, but then it also comes with like anything with, with, uh, um, established, um, understanding, like it comes with, with limitation. So, 
So what, what I think is a really neat thing to do is then counter using those, those type of, of tools with something which is, which is true to just purely you. And I was thinking about this when we first started talking about the book. This is the idea that popped in my mind in the very beginning of this, this conversation about how uh, particularly now that you and, and Tara are, are, are co-joined, that there you're having this special sort of like connection with books. I would then go and utilize everything about these books. Like, you know, that is, that is your unique, your unique, uh, um, uh, repository of the information of like, you know, your, of your divination tool. And then I would make my own cards. I mean, it could be as simple as just getting like a whole bunch of three by five, uh, index cards, or you could be a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more creative if you want to, you just want to be uniform. And then you start coming up with a system, like with the titles of the books, with the titles of the books, so that now that as you're building all of these books, like, you know, now you have like a way to go and tap into a book and then maybe include in this, this system, like chapter numbers or, or like numbers, like, you know, which would point you. So you can start pulling from books, uh, like, like pulling a card for where am I going to find the information which I need from that book itself or from a book. Uh, and then you'll have like some sort of like indication like with numbers, which might get you there. That's why I said like chapters or page numbers. It's got to be something which is going to be universal true for all the books. So like one book is only like 70 pages. You can't have like page 72 or like 372 in it because it wouldn't make sense. But if you came up with something which was very yeah, like, no, I, I, I see where you're going. And so this becomes your system. So it's like you counter, you counter play like established systems, mm. which have their strengths and minuses, but they're, they're really, their strengths are like, it's really well established. And so you can go and like really get into what other people have thought about it as you, you worked away with it and you counter that with your own, like, this is my system and it's only true to me because of my actual experiences, like include in those books, like, Oh wow. Like this is where we got that book. So it's like that part of the world. And this is what happened on that trip. Like all of that becomes like, it is a truth. You had that experience. You know that it means that because you know it. And now you have something which is like pure and true just to you guys. And that to me is immensely powerful in this time too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I, um, yeah, I, I bought the, the deck, you know, essentially to be another book in my collection because it is such a cool learning tool and, and it is like, uh, you know, researching all this stuff and, and kind of resting on the shoulders of, of guys like you and, and Ross Ben. And, you know, it's, it's pretty prevalent the Rosicrucian Freemason Kabbalistic symbolism. So I felt like having this would be uh, a nice resource to uh, be able to examine the things that are more, you know, encoded and, and be able to go back to this deck and be like, Oh, see, okay, maybe this is a, a metaphor for something larger. And it kind of reminds me of this card uh, here, you know, that kind of thing. So, but I, I love the idea of creating my own sort of like Dewey decimal divinity divination system. I think that's, uh, that's, that should be like a, uh, a um product the dewey decimal divination tool well i mean 
I, I, I talked about this a little bit in, in the beginning of our conversation um, about when we're talking about the wheel and what I was hoping to, to, to spell out um, was recognizing um, the difference between infrastructure of a system and then uh, unique ways in which that, that infrastructure can be uh, used. And I think a lot of times when we learn, when we learn infrastructure, we learn it with a, with a, um, with a meaning set and we just assume they're, they're the same. But once you can begin to separate the two, then you can become more creative yourself. And I think this idea, particularly to anyone who, um, like, whether, you know, I, you want to use the word divination or whether you want to use the word mysticism or what have you, but anyone who wants to use, who wants to at least reference nonlinear information gathering. I mean, that's what it is. Like, you know, that doesn't say it's right or wrong. It's just saying it's non, nonlinear, like, you know, uh, and I, I find it like a, a, a fun and exciting and incredibly human way of experiencing life. The best way to do it and the truest way to do it is to develop your own, which is unique to yourself. And it's also, it, it, and I like to share that. I like to like, you know, encourage people like you go and you do that. And then it also becomes though a gift to other people, just as what Roz was asking you, like, you know, what is, what, what, what's the Connecticut mystery? Like, you know, uh, learning other people, experiencing other people's um, divination systems because every divination system is a language and every language is, is limited. There's no, la- no two languages that are able to express everything in all the same ways. Um, that's not a, a limitation of languages. It's just what they are. And so the divination languages are limited to what the, the, um, the qualities associated with the tools are. Uh, for example, like tarot, like, you know, those, uh, the 72 cards of tarot, I think it's 72, uh, 22 plus 78, I think 78, 78 cards of tarot. Um, they, they, they have an established meaning set. So like you go and you mix it up with other cards, which have different meaning sets. But when you develop your own, it's completely unique to you. And so I want to go and just share the story. And then, uh, as an example, so I used to do these things, I used to go to festivals and I would, I would set up in a tent. And I would call the I'd call it the shadow tent, and I would give I'd give stone readings, and they were just stones I collected on my journey. And um, I would have people come in, and I would have them throw the stones or or arrange them any way they like. But I would then go and read their sculpture, whatever their arrangement of stones, based upon what those stones meant to me. And so no other human being in the world could ever know what those stones meant because they didn't have my experience or they would have their own different definition. And, you know, regardless of whatever, whatever the, uh, whatever I said to these people, you know, whether it was accurate or not, you know, that's, that's irrelevant. We love stories. And when we hear other people's perspectives and other people's stories, we, and we hear it from their, their language set, their perspective, their unique way, well, then that's a friggin' gift. Like, you know, you get to share that. And so, so I guess that, that, that's the, the, the sum total or like the, the round the return to like where the story began, like recommending you maybe with your books, but, but whatever it is that, that, that you're creating your life, like, you know, as you begin to develop the system and then as you begin to then share that, once you become more comfortable using it within yourself, 
uh, in your own life, you can begin to share that with other people. Like I see that as a very important currency of the coming future. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely can see it happening, especially with like the, the folks who reach out on the show, um, the, all the channels that they can get in touch with me. A lot of times they'll ask for a book recommendation. And I remember being in that same position where like, I loved looking for books, but you know, you can only go so far to find the books that are available in your used bookstore before you feel like, cause I'm the type of person I like to have like an intuitive feeling behind, uh, you know, purchase, especially a book. And, um, I think you're very similar. Like you, like when you told us about the, the Canifest, uh, you were like, you know, I'm not going to buy just any old thing at a, at a kind of arts and crafts festival. It's got to call out to me in that one, uh, particular craft that came from a region of the world where you visited in Peru, you know, spoke to you, right? That's the same thing that I think has happened to me over and over with, books so you know when people do ask me for a recommendation i'm almost like well yeah first you got to go you know to use bookstore and see what calls to you but you know once you get past that level i'm remembering a point in my life where i was like okay now i i gotta like search on the internet or search out and this was probably before podcasts around the time not before podcasts existed but before podcasts existed to me right <laughs> so uh, i wasn't aware of them but i was aware of the joseph campbell series of lectures that were available on spotify at that point in time i don't think they are anymore um so i was like okay there are other people out there that i can learn from on the internet and i started looking for podcasts and then through podcasting certain people would just come to the fray and that's how i would order a book you know i would listen to an interview and and then there we go this guy sounds interesting let me get his book right so that's kind of it would be really cool going along the line of thinking that you you just brought to my awareness here to create some kind of like at least uh, uh like a divination tool of authors and and their works you know like i can already kind of see it together but you know for for my own lens i don't know that i feel like right now i kind of just exposed my one of my uh just how i i think because i'm realizing like I'm already going against what you said. You said make something personal that I can use. And I'm already thinking like, oh, how can I make something that other people can use? Like, yeah, no, I should, I should definitely, because I still have a lot of learning to do really myself before I can go and teach other people. And it would be, you know, a good way to, uh, to pick a book. Cause sometimes, you know, I'm sure you feel this way when you have a lot of books to look through, it's, it's sometimes hard to, uh, to, to pick, you know, which one you're going to get into at that moment in time, unless there's that, you know, synchronicity behind it. But so, um, I mean, I, a whole bunch of things you just said. So, um, <laughs> so the, the first thing is recognizing, um, that you have a special way with books. All right. Okay. Like that, that's your experience. Like, is that not your experience? I'm not saying this compared to anyone else. I'm just saying with you, like you got a special thing. Like I know that about Mark. I know Mark 
Mark's got a special thing with, with books. And I know I try to find out what people have a special thing with every person I meet with. We all have special things. Mm. So, so like kind of sit with that for a little bit. Like, you know, you probably don't think that way uh, at first of yourself. Maybe you do, but like recognizing like that's, that's like, you know, one of your attributes. It's one of your gifts, if you will. Uh, and gifts are meant to be given. So what, what could be fun, like, you know, to, uh, is, and maybe this bridges, bridges what you're saying, because I think there are two things which, which are possible here. One being like, you know, you sharing your technique just as an infrastructure. This is how I do it so that people can go and like, Oh, okay. I, now I, I'm going to approach, I'm going to, I'm going to approach, uh, my life inspired by that. Like I try to do that a lot. Like, you know, with the, the right to the 40th parallel talking about like different practices, it's all meant like, you know, it's playful. We're meant to be playful and experimental people and it's meant to be personal. So, um, so you can teach that. Like, I mean, I, there's a value to that, but sometimes people don't want to go and learn that. They're like, well, books don't speak to me. You know, it's like, I recognize the importance of books, but, but I'm looking for some guidance. So what I would, this would be an interesting thing. I would, you come up with like your, whatever your number is, you know, maybe it's 15, maybe it's, maybe it's your top 10 books, maybe it's top 10 authors. And you've got like these cards that you've made. And so when someone's like, Hey Mark, you know, what, what, where should I go? Where, what should I read now? Like, you know, what direction? Because I know people are coming to you that way because you, you know, we're all, we're all somewhere on a continuum where we're, we're teachers and students. Um, you could go and like real quickly, like not have to think it through like, well, you know, I think you might this, but you got to read that. You just go to your book cards and be like, okay, let me give you a quick book reader. You pull your cards and then you just tell them about those books and you read them in that direction. Like, you know, you pick one of the book titles. Like that would be, I think that's another one of the gifts because again, we got to start thinking about our value to the community out side of, um, I mean, right now we're doing it in parallel with technology, but then also things which are completely on technology. You could say, well, you still need to get the book. That's okay. That's, that's up on that person. Now they've got like a mission. Um, but, but like that is like, as just an idea, um, of like how you, because you, I can hear it in your voice. You want to interact and help and be, be, and fit in as a servant, a serve a service to the community. And that's a very human thing. We all, you know, I feel that we all feel that to different degrees and that's strong within you. So I find that like real exciting. Like I love all of, we can see with all of the stuff which we were talking about of, of divination and, and, and being connected with the, with the natural world, but then also being able to have some sort of means of having like a more concrete uh, conversation. And that's what the, these divination arts are. And particularly when you create your own natural ones with whatever natural to you, it is, that is you ha having that communication. Mm. Right. Right on. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I definitely have a lot of uh, a lot of crafts on my list to make. The map making that we uh, I think we we even had the map in the trunk when we visited. Um, but yeah, that's that's a part of it too. Like mapping out the journey and and one thing that Tara and I kind of thought of uh, in sync was like a map that you can use to show where you've been 
you know, kind of like a storybook fairy tale type map where it's like, well, this is who I was and, and this part of my life. So I'm going to draw like this kind of landscape and you can kind of connect like the path. And it, it really just is like a, um, a reflecting wow. tool, you know, like an art, you know, like, you know, just like your story in a, you know, almost like a little map, you know, like this is where I've been, this is where I'm, I am now, and this is where I'm going. You are, I mean, you're nailing it. Like what you're describing, that's exactly, you know, that's, that's bringing your story to life, if you will, your story based upon, um, your actual experiences, like, you know, that's breaking out. And so when you take your story and it's no longer just in your head and you're representing it in this different way. And you guys, I love your map. I mean, I think you're right on. You should have like a book where you, every place, cause you guys travel a good amount, you know, sketch out your maps there. Just sketch them out. Uh, what I think would be really cool is if you did like kind of a bigger map at some point and like, let's say it's of like the Northeast or maybe just, just new England. And, um, you put in all of the, the natural formations that you want to put in. Uh, cause I know that you are good at drawing those and with the animals and then you include all the used bookstores you've been to. Mm, that would be, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So you got like all of this like natural sort of thing. You've got all of that. And then you've linked it into those, those bookstores. And now, now that's like, now it's kind of like it, it bridges the world. And if you had cards, like, I mean, there's so many things like, you know, these, these, this, this gaming way, like, you know, part of, part of, I think what, what, what is so important, particularly coming up, but just to be human is like to live a game. And if, and we can see that with the rise in popularity of video games, you know, weaponized gaming. Um, but you can, you can turn like that basic infrastructure into creating like this beautiful life of meaning. Right. And it's fun and it's adventurous and you share it with people and you leave a record. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, uh, it's at a time where, you know, and, and Tara tells me this all the time, like, Oh, you're, you're doing so great. Like you, everything's going amazing with your podcast and not that like, I need any uh, reminder of that. Like I'm very happy and confident, but I think, you know, she compares herself to me a lot cause you know, she wants to start a podcast, but she also kind of wants to really, f I think, you know, through a podcast possibly connect with her higher purpose. And that's been really bothering her over the past few weeks is like, how am I gonna, you know, strive like he is? Cause she sees me, you know, talking to people on my podcast and, and feels, you know, kind of left out in a way. And I'm, I'm like, well, you know, you have to go at your own pace and you know, you know what you know, so be confident in it and, and start from there and connect with the people you want to connect with. And, and she's definitely doing that. But I think, you know, gaming, gamifying it has made it fun for both of us and that's why we do like going on journeys and and i remind her like you're just as much a part of this as i am even though i might you know be able to recall the information uh you know right on the spot and like sometimes i can't but she you know very uh fondly looks up to me as like you know smarter than her and i try to your reminder like no 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 we're equals like i may be you know intelligent in these areas but you're just as intelligent in your own way so 
I don't know, getting a little more personal. It's like, that's kind of, that's kind of why right now, what you just said is super exciting. I don't think she's here right now, but, um, but yeah, when she gets back, I definitely want to tell her about that. Cause she and I, uh, definitely enjoy working on the maps together, but the card game, that could be, that could be fun. Like Cause, all, cause she's a reader too. She stuff. definitely reads a lot and that, that game could, could be good for both of us. But then also with this idea of, and, and, and I get it, it's the real, it's the, you know, quote unquote, it's the real world, but framing up the game in the art of it, like the context of, of like, for example, you use like a podcast, uh, that is framing the, like her definition of success is based upon a game she did not create and you can see that that's causing that's causing internal strife otherwise you wouldn't she wouldn't feel a certain way so like when we begin to play outside of um outside of the framework which was given you free yourself up that doesn't mean you don't go back into the framework but you go outside of it and you create it on your own terms as opposed to like trying to mold oneself. I mean, that's, that's been the whole thing for, <laughs> I mean, a hundred years now, ever since they, they started create, once they started creating the corporate environment that people left their home and they had to go and work the work, someone else's job and someone else's framework that way. But, but, but yeah, that would be, I would imagine would at least open up new possibilities, which would be more empowering. Right. You know, if she doesn't feel empowered using that, it's probably because it's not, I don't ever feel empowered using like the technology. I'm so resistant to it. And, you know, figuring out like that midline uh, at this point of like where I want to participate and how I don't want to participate. But um, uh, the real thing and uh, is it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be like completely yours and completely not depending upon their system, but then also being able to interact intermingle if it needs to with that system that would be uh what i would suggest would be a really good model to to follow mm. yeah it, it's definitely i i agree with you in a lot of ways with what you just said but i feel like and i think you'll agree with what i'm about to say too it, it's like we're drawing on skills that we've gained outside of podcasting like you and i didn't become you know communicators because we like when we were young men we're like oh one day i'm gonna be on a podcast like it, that that is just a part of our personality you know we we're good at communicating things that we're knowledgeable of things we've researched things we've experienced right and you know for me it, it didn't bring me anywhere for the longest time because I was reading books and listening to podcasts and, and telling, you know, coworkers or friends about this stuff. And, you know, it was falling on deaf ears as they say. And, uh, and hence the name of my podcast, my family thinks I'm crazy because they too, you know, had those deaf ears. So it was kind of like uh, a relief to, to be embraced in, in the podcasting world with the kind of, speed that I was embraced you know I uh, unlike many podcasters I kind of got jumped right into it uh pretty quickly uh being on Sam Tripoli's podcast as like one of my first podcasts so that you know that kind of 
pushed me into the the bigger stage a little quicker than I would have been. And I thought to myself, well, it's, you know, not really a big deal because all podcasting is, is an expression of your voice in your mind. And I've been expressing my voice in my mind for, for my whole life, you know? So it's just, uh, to me, you know, the, the hardest part, like you said, was kind of mitigating the, the technology side of it. Like, how am I going to actually connect with people? Who am I going to connect with? Oh, how much am I going to connect with them? And like, am I going to do it over video audio? I prefer audio the way we're doing it now. I've kind of grown to, uh, to like it. Now this is the seventh episode of the, your handbook for the apocalypse. It's definitely, you know, also kind of goes into the, 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 the reason why I'm so motivated to even read these books and listen to these podcasts it's not because i'm just like entertained by mysticism and and conspiracy theory it's because deep down in my heart i've always felt like there is a you know a larger mystery that needs to at least be uh exposed if not you know figured out in some way and you know that mystery has led me to realize so many things that I don't agree with in the world and and that makes me want to express myself even more so that maybe the world will change for the better because there are so many things that could be uh different for the better I don't know and and I've always like looked towards the contrary side of things for those answers which has led me to you know alternative history and conspiracy theory and then the occult and alchemy and all these other routes that the average person might not take and i found like the average person in this podcasting realm uh does take those routes so it uh, you know feel quite at home here no without a doubt this is where we've all got an opportunity to meet each other yeah so that right that yeah that being said i mean you know it's like and she's no different like she's she's not new to this stuff she's experienced strange things in her life and and has sought out this type of uh, wisdom and, and knowledge so i always encourage her like yeah you could do a podcast you'd be great at it just you know so i think there is that that sort of um you know thing for me where i'm like you know i can only teach so much before I'm like pressuring somebody to do something, you know, and, and in my experience, my past experience, if you pressure somebody to do something, they resist, you know? So with that being said, I kind of am, I'm like, all right, you fly out of the nest. Now you can do this, you know, like, cause I don't really know any other way, but you know, bringing it back to the gaming thing, I, I see like, when we do stuff like that where it's not about outcomes it's not about uh accomplishing something it's just about having fun or going on a journey or or expressing ourselves that's when she tunes into uh really who she is and i think that that could be like i don't know that's that's my thought is how do you make that into a podcast you know like so i wanted to record on the road it's just difficult to like kind of record a podcast when you're when you're in the moment and you're driving around you know you, you're just in the moment you know uh in the moments where the where the where the gold is yeah. um yeah 
yeah, that's uh, that's uh, a lot of good stuff. That's a lot of good stuff, Mark. So, where are we right now? We're about two hours. Are we two hours in? Yeah, about an hour forty in. An hour forty in. Is there anything else we want to discuss before we start wrapping up? No, I, we. Um, you know, I was looking through the emails to see if we had anything new. Um, but other than that one that I forwarded to you, which I don't know if it was explicitly a message for the show, um, there weren't any other sort of messages for the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse podcast. So reach out to us, folks, mfticpodcast at gmail.com or podinbox.com slash mftic if you want to ask us a question or leave us a message. Did you get that? You Did you get the email that I forwarded to you, Mike? I got the email you forwarded to me <laughs> um, with, the, with the guy with the, uh, with, uh, from Tennessee. We spent time in Tennessee. Right. Yes, definitely so. And uh, I hope to get some more emails. I love to hear from, from uh, see what people have to say. Uh, and <laughs> I'm thinking about your, your, um, your, your comment about uh, not wanting to pressure anyone. So we don't want to pressure anyone to uh, send us an email, but what mm. I think what we can do to people, what we can do to, for people, and this is true for all of us, is we don't, no one ever likes to be pressured, but everyone likes to be inspired, right? Yeah, I agree with that. So that's, I would say, I would say that's the, that's the, the flip side, the flip side of, um, of the the pressure duality is the inspired duality um and so if we have inspired anyone to want to go and send us a message i would uh i would love to hear any sort of comment right on and I, i'm sure tara will have something to say because she does listen to to this and i i don't know i think she'll appreciate being mentioned uh all only nice things were said but uh we always talk about tara on the show <laughs> she and she always listens so <laughs> as she should as she should well, all right mark this was another good one cool man all right well we'll talk soon and uh thank you again for listening to your handbook for the apocalypse remember if you're listening on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast feed go over and subscribe to the susquehanna alchemy podcast feed and uh, we'll see you next week